Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, I'm here with Anissa Gray. We're at the Bookmarks Bookstore here in Winston-Salem. Uh, Anissa, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. We are here featuring uh, her book, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls. What a title. I love that title, <laughs> by the way. And we're going to talk about that title. USA Today calls it a ti- is timeless and universal. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, glad to do it. And um, we might hear a little noise in the background, people going around through the bookstore looking for books and that kind of thing. A great, a, an absolutely great bookstore. Yeah, I love this It is, this it store. is. And yeah. it's nice. So um, that, that's what's going on. Or maybe they're cheering for you as we, as we do this. Uh, <laughs> let's, before we get into this book and this great book title here, let's talk a little bit about you. You're a senior editor. You're seen in Worldwide. Uh, you've been in... Uh, Journalism for many years, began your career at Reuters as a reporter based in New York, covering business news and international finance. Then you moved to Atlanta, initiated your career in broadcast journalism at CNN, where you held roles as writer, editor, and producer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we might talk a little bit about how journalism, you know, go, you go from journalism <laughs> to novel writing. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> yeah it's... When we get to the writing life segment, but uh, before we do that... This is your first novel, right? Yeah. It is my first novel, yeah. yeah. It's an imprint of Penguin Random House, good publisher. Congratulations, mm-hmm. by the way, on all the great reviews that you're getting. Thank you. Yeah, it's been book. just amazing. And so before we uh, dive under the covers of this particular book, let's look at the book cover itself, okay? You know, when I first looked at this, before I had, had I'd even been reading the book, and then I picked it up again before I came up here today and looked at the cover, and I noticed for the first time... <laughs> It's like one of those uh, puzzles you see, you know, yeah. you don't actually see the image in, in the puzzle. But there's three faces in this image here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this graphic. Was that your idea? Was that the publisher's idea? No, I, I am uh, unfortunately not quite that artistic. Okay. Um, they have some incredible artists uh, working at Berkeley Penguin Random House, and um, they came up with this just amazing cover. Um it is actually the first cover they sent 
for a review, oftentimes you'll get you know more than one to right. consider. Right. But this was the first one they they sent, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And, and oftentimes uh, you don't get to consider it at all, right? They just send it to you and tell you, <laughs> tell you that's what it's going to be. But they were they were they were saying you can consider this, but if we really like it, we're going to do it anyway, right? Yeah. They they nailed it the first time out, yeah. so I'm just incredibly grateful for that. That's great. Yeah, and so we've got uh, this image. I mean, you know. It's kind of hard to describe, but you got these uh, faces, uh, silhouettes of faces all connected together mm-hmm. like they're like a Siamese connection, mm-hmm. they're, you know, mm-hmm. twins or something, they're triplets together. But then in the background of that, you've got ferns and colors and blossoms and forest trees, so... Does that feed the narrative of this book too? Well, it's sort of uh, the pine cones and uh, and that type of thing. It sort of put me in the mind of um, of foliage in uh, Michigan, which is where the book is set. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's what I think about when I when I look at this. It's also um, seasonal too because the book picks up in the fall and goes through the winter, mm. um, which I thought was quite meaningful. Well, Vanity Fair on the backside calls it a gripping read. Uh, that Althea Butler Cochran is a pillar in her community and the heart of her family until she commits a crime that upends everything. And that's that's kind of the exciting, the initiating incident uh, that we have to deal with in the opening of the book here. Um, but uh, so you ready to get under the covers? Yeah. I'm ready. All yeah. right, that's good. If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me. The first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Talk about the book title, if you would, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls. Yeah, um, this title, I came up with this title when I first started writing this book, and it, Interestingly enough, I was writing a very different book at the time. Mm. I was writing a book uh, that focused on, uh, there are three sisters in this book, but at the time when I was writing, I was focusing only on one of the sisters, and it was the sister with the eating disorder. Mm. Um, And that's who the story was going to be about, and so the title obviously makes uh, sense uh, in that context. But as I was writing that story, um, it just wasn't coming together. Uh, it wasn't. It was too insular, um, mm-hmm. too inwardly focused. Uh, so what I did was took a step back and I looked at this one woman's biography, and she had those two sisters there, and I found they had very interesting stories to tell. So mm-hmm. that's when the book broadened out and became a multi-character narrative, mm-hmm. and I kept that title because uh, one of the things you learn in treatment for an eating disorder is that it's not about the food, it's about, you know, those empty places and those those mm-hmm. places you're trying to fill. And I believe that's true for all of the women in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about the three different characters. So the, the name of the character that you're talking about there with the eating disorder is? Is Viola. She's Viola. the middle sister. Middle mm-hmm. sister, okay. Um, Althea, we're going to learn about from your read mm-hmm. <laughs> in just a minute. She She has a 
a different kind of problem. She's in jail to start yeah. out the book. She's, she's the eldest sister and yeah. the de facto matriarch of this family. Okay, and the third sister? Is Lillian. She is the youngest sister, yes. Okay. Do you come from a family of sisters? I come from a family of three sisters and one brother. Hmm. So, yeah. Did any of that experience influence what you did here? I would say definitely sort of what I know of family and what I know of sibling dynamics and sibling uh, relationships that definitely informs the story. This is not a story about my family specifically, but certainly everything I know about family mm-hmm. is in the book. Now, are these three sisters close, um, but for the different things they're going through? or are they? And the reason I ask is, you know, having six books that showed up and I'm here, I have to confess I hadn't got to the end of the book, so I, I clearly can't give away the ending because I, <laughs> I don't know the ending, but, I'm, but I want to know a little bit more about these characters and and how they relate to one another. Yeah, these siblings have a history of being close. They lost their mom at an early age. Um, So Althea, the eldest sister, took over uh, raising them. But as can happen in uh, sibling relationships, when, you know, people go their different ways, they move to your different city and you start building your own life, you get this distance. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we have here are these sisters sort of being forced to come back together because the eldest is on our way to prison and um, and sort of uh, resting in some ways on the close closeness they had, but also having to grapple with the distance that's that they have between them now mm. are they all in michigan or are they in different parts of the country or uh, they're in well some of them are in different parts one of them is in was in is in a different part of the country mm-hmm. um althea is in michigan mm-hmm. um the middle sister viola uh is in chicago and she comes home the youngest sister has recently returned to to michigan of her own uh volition and there's a whole story behind that but uh she has had previously been living in new york so when did you get the idea for the story? I mean, you've been in journalism for many years. and mm. So how did this come to you, and what did you want to explore with the story? Yeah, um, it sort of came to me, even the idea of sitting down and writing a novel, frankly, about five years ago. Because, um, yeah, as we discussed, I've been a journalist for my entire professional life. But about five years ago, I got really burned out in my job. And um, I'd always wanted to write books ever since I was a, a kid. I'm a big reader mm-hmm. ever since I was little. Um, so, you know, at that time in my life, I was like, you know, you should really sort of explore this idea of writing a novel. And uh, what is it you want to write about? And at that time, I wanted to write about this woman with an eating disorder. And um, the story grew from there. So mm-hmm. it was sort of rather than like a lightning bolt idea, the evolution of a story. Mm-hmm. So was there something, uh, someone you were, I mean, you were obviously attached to this idea of telling a story of someone with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you dealt with? Or is this it some, is, yeah. Okay. It, it, it's based loosely on some of my own experiences okay. and treatment. Mm-hmm. So you could speak speak uh, from personal knowledge in, in writing yeah, that piece. for sure. But then you brought in the prison. You hadn't been to prison yet, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, uh, you know, and so far so good. Yeah. So did you do a little research to, because there's a great first line in your book. Yeah, I don't think you're, are you starting with the first line? I'm trying to remember when you're reading. Today. I, I am, yes. I'm going to okay, start with okay, the first well, line. Okay, well, I'll give it away just yet, because okay. you know, it's a great, great first first line. Um, but through this story, these characters, um, they're all dealing with these different problems, right? Mm-hmm. And you got the family dynamics um, 
I assume they're going to kind of lean on each other a little bit at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the story? That is part of the story. It, okay. it, you know, it, it, this really is a family story on how you have this family, you know, despite their differences, um, they're sort of forced to circle the wagons mm-hmm. to take care of um, actually the eldest sister and her husband's two young daughters. Mm-hmm. So they come together in a way that they probably wouldn't have if not for this, you know, terrible calamity in the family. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's do this, if you would. Could you set up, uh, well, I don't know if there's much setup because you're going to start at the very beginning of the book, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's, let's start there, uh, if you would, and just uh, read a little bit. We'll get a flavor for how this book opens. Okay, so I'm reading from the beginning of the book, and um, it's where we first meet the eldest sister, Althea. Um, as you said, she is in jail on her way to prison, and this is the night before she's to be sentenced. And uh, as you can imagine, she's... Uh, terrified and feeling quite alone. So this is Althea. You do a lot of thinking in jail, especially when you're locked in the box that's your cell. Mine is about as big as the walk-in closet I had back at home, but in place of leather bags and sling bags and racks of clothes, I've got bunk beds, a stainless steel sink and toilet combo, and a compact padlocked cabinet. The cabinet's where you keep your valuables, like family pictures, commissary, and letters, including the one from your daughter that's not addressed to you. The letter that, truth be told, you just can't bring yourself to read, so you've got it tucked inside the Bible that belonged to your dead mother. The Bible's the one thing you read religiously, but not for scripture. You read it for the notes written in the margins. Then, when it lights out and you can't read anymore, you lock the Bible up in the cabinet and crawl in your bunk. The top bunk, which you're still scared of falling out of. You'd still be in the bottom bunk if it was up to you, but your new crazy quiet cellmate asked for that bunk in a way that made you feel like she might kill you as you slept on it, if you said no. Now you lie here, wide awake, with a compact cabinet across the way, and the sink and toilet combo near the foot of the bed, thinking and remembering because that's all you've got here in the dark when sleep won't come. And it hardly ever comes. I'm usually up thinking about getting out or what it was like before I came in or why I did what I did and how what I did compares to the next woman's crime. It's always me versus inmate X. I did this, but at least I didn't do that. I used to meet with the chaplain, somebody who's seen everything. We'd sit in a little room that had a view to the outside with him in his metal chair, black-shirted, white-collared, but casual in jeans. The type who probably plays guitar to youth groups in parks, He'd sit with his elbows on his knees, leaning forward with his back to the window while I stared past his pink, freckled bald spot to the jail's front lawn and the flagpole. Don't go comparing crimes like that, the chaplain would say. There's no good in it, Althea. What you've done doesn't have to define you. Then what does, I asked. Only you know that, he said. No one can tell you who you are. Okay, so we got a, uh, a first line. Uh, I love first lines of books, and you do a lot of thinking in jail. Yeah, well. <laughs> right, and that's how you would imagine it, right? Because you got a lot of time on your hands. Yep. Yeah. And then after you, after this part, still in the first chapter, you kind of move back in time a little bit, not not far to where the arrest takes place, and mm-hmm. she's. It looks sounds like she's in a restaurant with her husband and, mm-hmm. and, and the locals come in and they've done a lot for the community. Apparently people love them. Mm-hmm. The deputy sheriff doesn't even probably want to arrest them. Thinks it's a mistake, you know, because yeah. they, they had just had this big 
event to raise money for the town. And uh, and then you find out a couple pages later, we, the jury, find the defendant, Althea Marie Butler Cochran, guilty of conspiracy to defraud the United States, right? Mm-hmm. What did she do? I didn't get that far. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, she and her husband basically defraud their town. Okay. Um, I, I, I won't give any spoilers yeah, away. Don't give but, a spoiler yeah, away. Yeah, but yeah, that, yeah. That, that much can be said, and they are guilty. Okay. So this is really a story, you know, not about, a, it's not a whodunit, or right. it's more why did they do it, yeah. and uh, can they find redemption. Hmm. What's the sentence that she got at the beginning of this book? Is it a long sentence? It's a fairly long sentence, yeah, yeah she and her husband both. Hmm. Okay. All right, well, let's... Um, on that happy note, let's uh, transition <laughs> to something else. What What are some of the truths and themes that you're exploring uh, in this book, or or what are you trying to sort of uh, deal with most directly? I think uh, a couple of the things I'm trying to deal with most directly is this question of redemption. Um, th- this isn't, you know, as I said, this isn't shaded. They did it, and um, you know, there were pillars in the community, and this is an incredible fall from grace. Mm-hmm. You know, how you know, how do you find redemption yourself? And there's also the question of forgiveness, and that's a story for the broader family, mm-hmm. you know, because, because one of the things you learn as we move through the book is that um, this is a family dealing with trauma passed on from generation to generation. There are reasons. Uh, Althea committed the crime she committed. There are reasons her sisters uh, have behaved in some of the unhealthy ways they've Mm -hmm. behaved. Mm -hmm. So you find this family uh, really trying to work through questions of redemption and forgiveness. So it's really redemption, as you said, in a larger community, but but also inside this family as well. Absolutely, yeah. All right, let's shift to the Writing Life segment just a minute. Uh, You've been in journalism for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Now you're a successful novelist, according to all the pundits. <laughs> thank you, pundits. Uh, yeah, thank you, pundits. Uh, so how was that experience for you to go from, you know, journalism has a certain way of doing things, right? We got yeah. deadlines. We mm-hmm. got, let's write quick headlines. Let's write mm-hmm. tightly. Um, how did that experience work for you? And what did you have to unteach yourself to do what you did? <laughs> uh, it, it worked for me in that um, I, you know, having been a journalist my entire professional life is I have a, a, a healthy respect for deadlines and that sort of makes me I think a, a, dis, a fairly disciplined writer mm-hmm. um, you know I set time to work and I show up for work every day to write mm-hmm. um, even when I don't feel inspired mm-hmm. um, oftentimes you know the inspiration will come so that's sort of one of the great things about having been a journalist you know the mm-hmm. discipline part right the, the other, the, the difference is that, um, you know, in journalism, obviously, you're working within facts. You're sort of coloring within the lines. You can tell great stories with that. But um, as a novelist, you know, you have the whole canvas. Uh, you, you know, there are no lines. Mm-hmm. And you're able to use your a- imagination in ways that you can't uh, as a journalist. So did, that, did that scare you? <laughs> um, actually, actually, no, I think it was quite liberating, okay, you know, so to be able to just make stuff up. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so, but, you know, it still has to ring true, right? <laughs> it has to ring true for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that discipline and showing up to write, as you said, when would you show up to write? Because uh, you had another career you had to take care of too, right? Mm-hmm. I actually still have that career, so right, I haven't quit right. my day job exactly, yet. Exactly. Yeah. But for this book, um, I was on a schedule where I had to be in the office at my desk at 4 a.m. So I would work 
Um, no, wait a minute. For work or for the book? For work. For, okay. okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I haven't known too many authors to get up at four, start yeah. writing at 4 a.m. Well, uh, <laughs> well, stay tuned. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So mm-hmm. for that job, for when I was in that uh, job, yeah. I mm-hmm. um, and on that schedule, I would write in the afternoons. Okay. Although my preference is to write in the morning. Okay. So fast forward to where I am now. I'm working on a, a different book. I'm on a different schedule. And I now write earlier in the morning. So um, I'm usually at my desk at about 4.30, mm-hmm. my writing desk, 4.30, oh, well. 5 a.m., and yeah. then I go into the office. Are you a coffee drinker? Believe it or not, I am not a coffee okay. drinker. So, uh, you just get up and go, right? You, I, I you, do. My colleagues, you know, uh, you must have a lot of energy. see me as something as an anomaly and uh, just a weirdo, but uh, yeah. yeah. So does that mean you have another book contract? Are you working on something? Or I am working on something, okay, yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Is it too early to talk about what you're working on? Yeah, um, it's fine if it is. Yeah. It, it, it's a little early, but I, I can say it is another family story. Okay. And it's a story about what happens to a family after the dad goes to work one day and doesn't come home. Mm-hmm. Never comes home. So it's, it's a question of, you know, what happened to him? What does he leave behind with his wife and daughter? Mm-hmm. So journalism and novel writing, There's you talked about the freeing aspect of being able to write a novel. There's probably more of a spiritual side to what you're doing with that part of your writing life than your day job, right? Because you're trying yeah. to get the facts in mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Has that sort of, you talked about it freeing you up a little bit? Has it allowed mm-hmm. you to speak to some things that maybe in the confines of a journalism career you haven't been able to do quite as much? Yeah, absolutely. You can sort of, um, I mean, for me, in care and feeding, um, there are a lot, I was able to sort of uh, draw a lot from my own personal experiences Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with respect to the eating disorder, with respect to writing about family as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's an incredible, incredibly freeing um, aspect of it. Um, There's also just the ability to use your imagination in a mm-hmm. sort of unchained way, you know, to be able to turn off that internal editor. The editor has to come back at some point, you know, once you're editing the finals of the, of the, uh, of the novel. But mm-hmm. in those initial stages, to be able to turn off your you know, internal editor and your internal critic and just write. Yeah. And what's the race of the characters, of the main characters in the book? In these books? Yeah. Uh, they're black. They're black. And mm-hmm. so um, in Michigan, is that the, the area you set it, is that something you're familiar with, the, the area that you've set the book in? Yeah, yeah it's a, and, and this is a sort of another um, part of my upbringing. Um, it, it's a black family, but it's in a predominantly white town, I and that's, that's how I grew up. Does that work its way into the story here? Yeah, the, 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 and, the, the, and, and it works its way into, you know, the family is, back, but is black, but their, their circle of friends, they have a fairly mm-hmm. diverse circle of friends mm-hmm. as well, just given the community they were raised in. Mm-hmm. So, what were these characters searching for in this book? Um, I, again, I would say redemption and forgiveness mm-hmm. and connection, mm-hmm. which is which is something that I think a lot of us mm-hmm. are looking for. Were you searching for anything yourself, personally, in writing this book? Uh Personally, um, well, at one point I was just Finishing. searching for how to get her, get her done. You were searching <laughs> for those two words, the end. <laughs> you weren't able to find them very well. No, well, I, I, I just wanted to tell yeah. a good story. A, yeah, asked a different way. Has it been a satisfying experience for you? You glad you did it? Yeah. I'm yeah. incredibly happy I did it. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, how, how has it sort of changed your life experience? Has it? I mean, has it added something uh, 
you think it's added something valuable to your journey in life to have done this? Oh, yeah, without question. Um, to be in a position where, you know, you've had this dream since you were a little kid of, mm-hmm. um, you know, writing a novel and to have it, you put, put it out into the world and to have it um, embraced in the way that this yeah. book has been embraced is just nice. for me something I'm just incredibly grateful for. That's great. Well, yeah. you're prob- I know you got events today. You're probably on deadline, so we're going to have to stop here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listen, I want to thank you, Nissa, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Landis. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written word. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.